right at the tail end of Stampede. So, I don't know, less than a week ago, I guess, maybe a week ago, um, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was in our part of the world making a brief tour of Alberta. And uh, we tried to connect then. Uh, couldn't do it, but we are delighted that he is available to join us this morning. Uh, Mr. Singh, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate you joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So obviously, as we all know, all signs uh, indicate that a federal election is imminent. Uh, We don't know exactly when, but probably this fall. You've been pretty opposed to any talk of an election for quite some time now. Do you still feel that way now that it looks like it's coming? Do you still think that's the wrong choice for the Canadian government to make? Well, I'm just more focused on getting work done. And, and I and I know there's a lot of things that people need help with. I've spoken with a lot of small businesses that, that are telling me that they specifically need a lot of their sports to continue, that it's been difficult, that big boxes have done very well, they've made out like bandits, mm-hmm. and policies have supported big box stores, but they haven't really been focused on small businesses. And, and so uh, I want to get those supports in place so that businesses can have that predictability of the small businesses that we rely on in our communities that are part of our neighborhoods. I want them to be vibrant and able to continue. And they aren't able to deal with the ups and downs, the shutdowns and the, and the roll downs and the lockdowns. It's been difficult for them. So that's one thing. People I know are still struggling. I want to get help out to people. And I want a recovery that really focuses on getting people back to work and supporting people with jobs. So that's what I'm worried about more so than, than going to an election. But if Justin Trudeau wants one, I'll be ready to fight it. So let's go into that a little bit deeper then. So basically you're talking, is it an extension of um, the plans that are already in place, like the wage subsidies, things like that? Are you just planning on, or would you like to see those uh, extended for, for longer? We know they're supposed to wrap up probably sometime in September. Yeah, I want to take a very different approach between large corporations and small businesses. So the communities. Uh, community businesses that we rely on that are part of our neighborhoods, I want to offer supports to them to continue. So the rent subsidy and the wage subsidy to continue past the pandemic, because for a lot of those businesses, they've just been barely getting by. They haven't had the income that they expected so they could buy more stock for, for example, the Christmas Mm -hmm. uh, time where there's a lot of sales. So a lot of businesses are telling us that the small ones, you know, the ones we we really look to when we think about what makes our communities unique, they're saying, well, we don't have enough uh, revenue or we haven't had enough revenue to stock up for the potential upturn that might happen when people get past the pandemic and are starting to, you know, the confidence, consumer confidence returns for the, for the Christmas time period, for example. Uh, so I want to put in place supports for the small businesses, but I want to ask the wealthiest corporations to pay their fair share. So close some of the loopholes that allow them to get away with making profits in Canada and then hiding those profits in offshore accounts or companies like Amazon that make record profits in the pandemic but pay virtually no tax in Canada. So those are things that I want to clamp down on and invest that back into our local businesses. Um, I, I don't know how to put this in terms of it's an interesting position that we're in with a minority government, and you have mm-hmm. sort of had balance of power in a lot of ways. It's been your mm-hmm. support of the Liberals that have kept the government in place, you know, support of the throne speech, uh, the conservative anti-corruption motion that Trudeau made into a confidence vote. You supported him on that. So on one hand, you're you're going after Trudeau and saying he's not doing what he needs to be done, but on the other hand, you are backing him in the House of Commons in instances that would have brought down his government. That's the most powerful tool that you have. So how do you walk that line when you're saying you don't think we need an election, we need to be doing the work, but at the same time, that doesn't that cut yourself off at the knees? Well, no, actually, it's very interesting. We actually have been able to secure the most victories for people 
that any opposition party has been able to do so in a, in a generation. Mm-hmm. We were able to double serve. That was us. We fought for that. We made that happen. We were able to bring in paid sick leave, again, something the Liberals never planned to do. We were able to get the wage subsidy increased from 10%, which the Liberals started it at, to 75%. We were able to save millions of jobs, get help to students. And we were able to do all of that by, by basically saying, if you need our support, we're going to force you to do more for people. Yeah. In this time, there's not a single thing that Conservatives can point to that they were able to obtain for people. So really, it kind of raises the question, which a lot of people are wondering, well, what's the point of having Conservatives in, in, in a parliament if they haven't done anything for us in one of the worst crises that we have faced in my lifetime, for sure, in many people's lifetime? So we've actually been able to secure a lot of victories, fought hard, and forced the Liberals to do more for people. But we used the tools we had in, in parliament. So whenever there was a bill that was brought forward, if they wanted to get help to people, we fought them to give more help. When they wanted to cut help for people, so when they wanted to force workers back to work, they worked with the Conservatives to do that. When we put forward a Pharmacare motion and they opposed it, the Conservatives joined the Liberals to vote against Pharmacare. When we put a motion to tax the ultra-rich, the Conservatives and Liberals came together to vote against that motion to tax the ultra-rich. And so we've seen the Liberals team up with the Conservatives to hurt people and help the ultra-rich. And we force them to work with us to actually get more help to people. I want to talk about your trip to our province and some of the things you talked about here. Um, you talked about diversifying our province's economy, which mm. born and raised in Alberta has been something that's been talked about as long as I can remember, but it seems to be <laughs> something no one's been able to get a handle on to this point. So when you talk about diversifying Alberta's economy, what are you looking at? How does that happen? What's the answer? Well, it's got to be a jobs-first approach and and really a workers-first approach. And what I've seen for a long time is there's been different approaches that that either put blank checks in the pockets of the corporations hoping they'll create jobs, and that hasn't worked. And that's what Harper did, if you'll recall, in 2007 and 2008 after that crisis. There was a lot of money that was invested into large corporations, and then we saw many of them took the money and left Canada. That happened. Many of them took the money and did nothing with it, used it to build up their reserves for a rainy day. And so that is not an approach that works. Really has to be worker-focused. How do we get jobs right now? How do we get workers uh, that are, have so many skills and so much that they want to contribute? How do we get them jobs in the, in the immediate right now? And how do we create jobs that will be around for a long time? So those are the, the lens through which I look at how we can diversify the economy. It has to be workers first. It has to be jobs first. And a lot of workers are saying, we want more predictability in our lives. We've been going through a lot of uncertainty, and we're seeing the global markets that are going in a certain direction that gives us a lot of uncertainty and fear in our lives. What can we do to get rid of that uncertainty and fear? I think that's got to be the focus. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina, and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music, and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie, and Wrightsville, and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. And some of the jobs you brought forward, and, and, and I think you make a good point here, you're, you're talking about dealing with abandoned oil wells, you're talking about retrofitting mm-hmm. buildings, all these sorts of things. Those are temporary jobs. So I guess the question I have is, once those jobs are gone, then what happens? Like you're saying, we need jobs that last into the future. None of those jobs do. Well, we need. there's an immediate crisis right now where lots of folks are out of a job. So there's certainly two approaches in any, in any problem, any crisis management. We've got the short-term crisis, which is how do we get people working right now? And then how do we build that economy of the long term? 
So some of those things are short-term, but they're incredibly important. When we retrofit buildings, that's a local job that's created in a community. And if we particularly retrofit industrial buildings and commercial buildings, that's a lot of the jobs that are the resource sector jobs, uh, the energy sector workers. They can do those jobs. So that's going to put a lot of people to work. And then we start building a society where we have lower costs, where it costs us less to heat our homes and our buildings. It costs us less to, to cool them. And then we free up some resources to invest more into that sustainable economy. Renewables are very big. So the abandoned oil wells, many of them can be converted into geothermal energy plants. And that's going to be long-lasting jobs in, in uh, renewables. So we look at the immediate crisis and getting people to work right now. And then we start building what is going to be a long-term economy where we have jobs that are there for people, good-paying jobs that are long-term as well. One other plank in your economic plan was making things that Canadians need in Canada, returning manufacturing mm-hmm. to Canada, which I find interesting and I think is a great idea, but I don't know how you do that with our addiction to cheap goods and the fact that... We, <laughs> and, and, and it's not just a Canadian situation, right? It's global where these countries have really taken over. So how on earth can you restart the manufacturing industry in Canada without Canadians having to pay two and three times what they're paying now? Well, this is definitely a challenge, but I think what people have seen in this pandemic is that it is outrageous that we were not producing so many of these essential things in our country that we couldn't produce or we didn't initially have the hand sanitizers and the personal protective equipment, and we were waiting for shipments to come in from other countries. It really exposed the, the fragility, the, the frailty of, a, of an economy designed around outsourcing everything. So one, I think people believe that that, that was a flawed approach. So that gives us some some strength to be able to move forward once people believe, yeah, we need to do things differently. The second thing is there's ways to start off, kind of to kickstart this manufacturing with uh, some stimulus or some incentives at the federal level to encourage the production of PPE, for example. We can make sure that we're purchasing that when it comes to things to that we need for our public service, for our healthcare workers. We can encourage that that, that, that protective equipment is produced in Canada by Canadian companies and then we purchase that, we give them some predictability around contracts saying that for our own sovereignty, given what has happened, we can make a strong case that we should be producing hand sanitizers and protective equipment and medication. Producing those in Canada, we can make a strong argument that that's something that's in the long term good for our country, uh, better for people, keeps people safer, and we won't be in that same crisis where we're waiting in line for equipment that we should have had in our country anyways. And, of course, the criticism that always comes with the policy surrounding the NDP party at our provincial level and at the federal level, of course, is where does all of this money come from? You talk about, you know, pharmacare and childcare and on and on, and everybody has to pay for all of this, and we know the deficits are at record levels already in our country. So how can you possibly pay for all the things you're talking about doing? Very fair question. Lots of people are worried about this, and I, I want to just highlight why people are worried The reason why people tell me they're worried is they've seen governments do two things. Out of an economic crisis, either governments have cut help that people need, and we're seeing Jason Kenney do that right now, cutting uh, public health care. It was probably the biggest thing that I heard when I was walking around during the stampede. People were worried about health care. So we've seen that. That, That's that's a rerun, right? Governments have come in in a crisis and cut health and cut help that people need. The second thing we see is that either they cut the help or they put the burden on the very same people that have been struggling, on workers, on the middle class, on small businesses. I'm proposing a third option, and this is a third option because I don't want to cut the help that people need. In fact, like you said, I want to invest more, and I want to do that prudently, but I want to invest more into people. 
And I don't think that uh, putting the burden on the people that have already struggled is the right thing to do. We want to encourage recovery. There is a third option, and that is really taxing the ultra-rich. We've got lots of evidence that there is a lot of revenue that is that we're losing because we're not putting in place the right policies. There are many foreign companies, like I mentioned, Amazon, Google, Facebook, that make record profits, particularly in this pandemic, that pay virtually no taxes in Canada. Mm-hmm. There's ways to get that revenue. There are companies, Canadian companies, that make profits in Canada and then hide those profits in offshore tax accounts. And, and people ask me, what do I mean by the ultra-rich? Well, you or I don't have offshore tax uh, accounts or offshore tax havens where we hide our wealth. That's something the ultra-rich does, and that's something that we can clamp down on. We've tested this out with the Parliamentary Budget Office, and they found that there are billions and billions of dollars of revenue that we could increase, and we could invest that back into people and paying down our deficit. So that's really the approach I'm taking. There's the ultra-rich that made out like bandits in this pandemic, the large, wealthy corporations that did really well. They should be paying their fair share, and we've got a host of ways that we can crack down on that and make sure that they're contributing fairly. Mr. Singh, I know you've got to run. We have limited time. I appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks very much. It's been an honor. Thanks so much. I'd love to be back again sometime. You bet. Thank you very much, sir. (laughs) Take care. That is Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the federal NDP party.